Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I'm kind of a, I'm known as a bit of a vulture fund yeah. in Kildare. I come in and I swoop mm. with my bow on. And uh, I was wondering what you think. Is there any value in property? In well, no, the, the flipping days are over after the global financial crash, Christy, right. long time ago. So we, you, we, you we, we were supposed to have learned our lesson. But would you tell me to stay away from property at the moment, <laughs> would you? I'm, I'm dying to get my hands on a new, <laughs> an old two or three bed duplex <laughs> up there in Newbridge. I'd love it now. Just to go in on my own and look, smell the old paint and look around and, yeah. you know, just take my belly out and just go, I own this fucking place. I fucking love being an old landlord. And then, you know what, I'd fuck myself out of the house then. And I'd, I'd, I'd owe myself to rent. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd give myself an awful going over and I'd just seen to. Well, Christy Moore was just one of the many callers that were lining up to talk to this week's guest, Eddie Hobbs. And it's probably because it's been a while since we've seen and heard from Eddie. There was a time not so long ago when Eddie was everywhere. On every radio show, it seemed, on every newspaper. He had his own hugely popular TV shows, uh, including Rip Off Republic and another one advising us about the SSIAs. Remember that? And a few books, too. You could say that it was a mark of his celebrity status even that he made it as a character on Gift Grub and I was doing sketches about him all the time. I remember doing sketches about him even going to meet Michael Jackson in Neverland. But for various reasons that we talk about in this interview, Eddie started to spend less time in the media and more time running his own business and also uh, opining on social media about some of the big economic and social issues uh, facing us and political ones as well. And yes, we also talk about some of the well-publicised business failures that Eddie has been involved in over the last few years. This is an interview that packs a lot of punch. I could be parked at traffic lights. Lights are red. Next thing, beep, look across. Somebody puts down the window in a lorry or whatever. And just as the lights are growing green, he would say, Fixed our variable, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just the loss that, that people got, right? It was that they were let down. I was in the back of the bus as a non-executive director, but I take collective responsibility for the decisions that the board made, even though I wasn't involved in the day-to-day operations or running of the company. That was my job. But I'm, I'm responsible. Out of the corner of my eye, in an outlet mall, I spotted them. The dreaded uh, aircom soccer jerseys wandering around, uh, carrying a bit of weight. And I knew, right, four lads, there's only one reason. They're not playing, they're not over for soccer. They're over here, that's property. Well, Cape Verde, um, I think that all the geography books in secondary schools in Ireland should be changed and it should just be called Hobbs Islands because <laughs> I, I actually invented a country. Now, how Captain I, Hobbs! How I- and you know when you're enjoying something that time totally runs away with you. Well, that is exactly what happened during this chat. When we finally wrapped up, I realised we'd been talking for over an hour and a half. So what we're going to do is we're going to play you the first part of the chat in this episode and it splits nicely up into two because this is quite a personal part um, where Eddie is talking about his rise and fall from a TV celebrity perspective. I mean, at one stage, he was absolutely everywhere. Um, The personal toll on him as a result of some of the business deals that did not work out in recent years. Now, that affected a lot of people um, and there were a lot of disgruntled investors. Eddie addresses all those issues. And in fact, himself, he was one of the investors as well who lost out, just so people should know that as well. And some other really fascinating stuff too. And then a little later in the month, we'll release a second part covering his time with the political party Renewa. 
pretty controversial as well, and why he is not a fan of Sinn Féin's economic policies, uh, and why he thinks there's a huge amount of investigation to be done in relation to Ireland's lockdown policy, about which he, of course, was extremely sceptical. I know you're going to enjoy both parts of this conversation. Thank you to Curry's, of course, for supporting this podcast. They have been great to work with over the last year. And also you. You've been great to work with too. Every time you listen, press the subscribe and follow button and share the podcast with a friend. You are being an ambassador for the show. I'm delighted when you listen in, when you press subscribe or follow. And I'm delighted when you can email me personally, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and I answer them all. And I hope we can continue to work together and make this podcast as big as we can together. Before we get to my chat with Eddie Hobbs, I have to play you a blast from the past. This is a prank call that I played on Matt Cooper, would you believe, many years ago when Eddie Hobbs was at the height of his consumer champion celebrity status. So basically, the team on Matt Cooper um, got me to ring Matt. Um, They informed Matt that Eddie Hobbs was going to be on the line and that he was going to be talking about a new pyramid property scheme. At the time, there was a lot of kerfuffle and rage about certain pyramid schemes um, that had ripped off a lot of people. Some people had even lost their homes investing in them. And lo and behold, me as Eddie Hobbs arrives onto the phone um, to um, tell Matt of a new pyramid scheme. I had no idea if I'd get away with it. What you're about to hear was literally seat of the pants stuff. Matt could have rumbled me any second from the moment I got on because I was going. He had talked to Eddie so many times on the phone, surely he recognised Eddie's voice. As you can hear, <laughs> it went on for a good few minutes anyway. Joined now by Eddie Hobbs, who apparently has word of yet another pyramid scheme which may have hit Cork. Good evening to you, Eddie. Good evening, Matt. What's happening? Uh, that's right, Matt. I'm sure everybody is familiar with the Liberty Scheme in Cork. Yes, and indeed. The troubles that that has caused are so we would have taught, Matt. But I'm quite frankly appalled by what I've heard today. About what? The Liberty Scheme in Cork, Matt, um, seems literally to be only the tip of the iceberg, Matt, or the tip of the pyramid in this case, Matt. Yeah, what else is happening? Well, if my sources are correct, Matt, and I've no reason to assume that they're not, this pyramid scheme is going under the bizarre name of the Daddy at the moment. And this scheme, Matt, involves members of the Cork City Council, who I'll be naming on my website tomorrow morning, eddiehobbs.com, Members of the Cork Chamber of Commerce, several of Cork's leading building and architect firms, and most worryingly of all, Matt, this goes all the way to the top, to the Cork Mayor's office. What? Well? That sounds utterly extraordinary. How does the scheme work? Well, the scheme, Matt, which I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of it, is actually called the Daddy at the moment. And this word I've heard about for two weeks now or so. But the sums involved, Matt, are quite frankly enormous. The scheme, the daddy, has an entry level of €50,000 per person, Matt. Two people have already lost their houses in the Glanmire area alone already, Matt. And I've heard of other people who will be foreclosed upon as well by AIB Cork. You, this sounds utterly extraordinary because we have heard of these pyramid schemes involving eight and €10,000 and whatever. But, I mean, who would be putting in €50,000 into schemes? And for what? What were they well, told they're going to get? This will be revealed on my, on my website tomorrow. And I'm sorry I can't say any more at this point in time. But as you know, the thing could get quite litigious at this stage. People want to know what is the daddy. The daddy supposedly, Matt, refers to a pyramid. An actual pyramid, Matt, that will be built on the grounds of Merchantsky Shopping Centre which will be torn down, the brochure says, in six months, sold to an American investor who apparently believes this pyramid is one of the original pyramids of Giza, which has been transplanted from Egypt to Merchant's Key Shopping Centre. Now, I know Americans are gullible, Matt, but a pyramid, 
in Cork. Come on. I'm sort of just checking the calendar because this sort of sounds like April 1st, but this is April 4th, isn't it? This is absolutely mad. I even thought that there was a wind-up myself, but I've been actually tracking this for the last two weeks. When I heard it, I I nearly threw up my breakfast, to be quite honest with you. An Egyptian pyramid in Cork. I mean, they even have T-shirts printed, Matt, Who's Your Daddy? And a picture of a pyramid and people in red and white jerseys climbing up the pyramid with hurleys. (laughs) (laughs) At 50,000 euro a pop. Well, Matt, they are saying, basically, this American investor is worth apparently 14 billion euro. And are all these people then just literally reckoning, well, if he's worth that much, we can fucking just take his money and take him for a ride? Well, I think that the, the man is, is a, a little senile at the moment, but he, apparently he's fascinated by Egyptian pyramids and he collects them and he builds them in his garden. And he feels that he heard about the success of the Liberty Scheme in Cork and he felt that pyramids in Cork are the way to go. And you're saying that there are elected officials, council members, members of the Chambers of Commerce... Merchants, princes in Cork. I mean, other luminaries in Cork as well. Members of the Cork Harling team, members of the Munster rugby team, Ronan O'Gara. I am mentioning, I'm naming him on the website tomorrow as being one of the founding entry-level members of the Pyramid Scheme. And are you absolutely convinced and sure that you got your facts right? Ronan O'Gara is behind this Pyramid Scheme, Matt. Ronan O'Gara is the daddy. The daddy. And Anthony Foley is the nephew. The nephew from Limerick. I know, but he's saying to the American, he's from Cork, he needs money. Anthony's got problems at the moment, as you know, as we talked about on the phone before. It's extraordinary. And that's going up on your website tomorrow? Thedaddy.com, Matt. Not EddieHobbs.com? No, Thedaddy.com is the website that they've started. That they've started. I told Mary on the phone when she put me on to look it up. Ronan O'Gara, Anthony Foley, Matt Cooper, all in the daddy. A giant pyramid. Matt. <laughs> I'm Eddie Hobbs. I'm Eddie Hobbs. I'm Eddie Hobbs. I'm Eddie Hobbs. <laughs> and I'm right here at the end of the day. <laughs> I had him for quite a while there. Uh, I, I think you'll agree. I must try and get Matt again this year on April Fool's Day. Keep that to yourselves now. So let's jump into my interview with the real Eddie Hobbs. He's a man with many titles, financial advisor, consumer champion, author, TV show host, military historian, would you believe? And of course, cork man. And you know what? Eddie Hobbs also has a great sense of humour. So like all great interviews, it started with a good laugh. Okay, here we go. Oh, do you want me to put these on? Oh yeah, please yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to hear. Okay. I mean, you are a man who likes the sound of his own voice, so... (laughs) Eddie, listen. (laughs) You can hear it all the better. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Eddie, listen. So, just imagine there's people out there, right? And they're just Una and Anne and Jerry, right? And uh, they remember Eddie Hobbs from 2007 and Rip Off Republic. And you were everywhere. You were ubiquitous, omnipresent. Um, You were on our TVs and uh, you, you... were a well-loved, are well-loved, were a well-loved at the time TV personality. And then, and then you know, so, and then you didn't disappear. But where have you been since then? In other words, my first question, Eddie, is almost to give us a potted, a little potted biography. Where have you been? Well, for the last 30 years, I've been where I've been. I've been no, since 2007, Eddie. All oh, right. Well, this 2005 was Repoff Republic. Yeah, OK. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been just doing what I've always done. I mean, I got involved in television uh, by accident. 
And that was after getting involved with the Consumer Association back in the day in the early 90s after collapsing the endowment mortgage market and then taking the insurance cartel to pieces and then um, putting in a benchmark when um, Charlie McCreevy brought out the government savings scheme which forced the banks to make sure they couldn't dodge around with the interest rate they were paying people on deposit. And that was about 10 billion of savings went into that. And then Ripoff Republic naturally flowed then out of um, going around doing show me the money. And that and was huge, wasn't it? It was, yeah. How, how big were the, the just to, because people are, do know viewing figures these days. So you have like, I don't know, the last week, the Late Late Show had 400 odd thousand viewers. And I think Dancing with the Stars had about 500 odd thousand views. How many were you getting? I think we were pulling that weekly. I mean, we were getting, in terms of market share, I remember the percentages more easily. We were somewhere typically between 32 and 38% market share mm. for that. But then when, what happened was, it was, it was clear to me that um, Ireland was eating its young that there was protectionism, pockets everywhere, because I'd been very sensitive to the whole competition thing anyway. And uh, so so I started to, uh, I, so, so I originated and co-wrote Rip Off Republic and then did it in four nights in a row in the Helix in front of a live audience. You know, it was just all one take each night. And uh, uh, nobody really saw it coming, including me, kind of the impact it was going to have. So the audience just went up every week. It was broken on the third week by um, uh, by Rose of Tralee. Let's get our priorities right. Okay. And then uh, and then around then the government wanted me to come into um, a subcommittee meeting, a hearing about all of the facts that were on display in this programme. Remember, I was on holidays at the time and I got a phone call from a journalist and he said, you know, what's your response to this? And I remember saying, well, how many will be on the committee? I think it was an Enterprise Trade and Employment Committee. They want to investigate the programme. And I think they said something like seven or eight or something like that. And I said, that's completely unfair. I said, there's not enough of them. They'll need more. Okay. So that was the kind of the mindset at the time. And the reason for it was that, I mean, I was, I was typically passionate about it because uh, I could see that th- this burden was being paid for by by working people going in and out of, you know, long commutes, kids and uh, falling asleep at six o'clock in the morning, being taken to the crash. They're playing crash costs. Yeah. Mortgages were high. Uh, taxes were high, despite all the low cost stuff. And um, uh, and people were exhausted. Yes. And it was quite clear when I did a programme on um, a young couple that wanted to put um, a coffee shop, lease a coffee shop yeah. and start a coffee shop and leasing it in an, in an office in, or what was an office space in Blackrock in Dublin. And uh, they wanted to pull out a really modest income of whatever it was, 40,000 a year at the time between the two of them. And uh, we were working out that the cost, they'd have to sell coffee at around €8.50 Euros 50 a cup. And <laughs> Pretty much is that, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, it is that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the reason for that was that businesses, the actual property that businesses were in had become far more valuable than businesses itself. And when that happens, you've got a broken society. Uh, you've got a society that's really just uh, a surf to the uh, to the property owners, yes. the developers in particular. And they were hoarding land and it was all linked to corruption, political corruption as we yes. know at the time and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Well, even so, at the time, for example, just to just to put people in the picture. Yeah. I mean, I would have been, We often we choose characters for Gift Grub on the radio yeah, based on Matt. their on their currency. And Eddie, you used to be a regular character. No, on you, our, you caught Matt Cooper one day as me and um, <laughs> uh, I remember listening to that on one of your, um, one of your podcast. Yeah. Podca- and I just thought, you know, he's from Cork, you know, and you caught him. 
and you caught him well like for about 20 minutes I know so, yeah, and we he, actually still have that we have yeah, that clip he was convinced he was talking to me you know I, th- I thought it was hilarious at the time you know? yeah it was a building pyramid scheme terrifi- called the daddy but no but I used to do you on the radio as well I know but it was terrifying at the same time because it was but but the point I'm trying to make about yeah. your, your how, how what what uh, the central part of the of our media you were at the time was that like I do you on the radio and so I'd have you come in to visit a house um, on Gift Grub and yeah. you'd be Mary, Mary and John and you'd be there so lads listen have you thought about eating in the dark no, no, for you had, example you had me doing a trip to um, <laughs> to, to, to Neverland that's right and you instructed Michael Jackson yeah. to use one glove yeah um, to save on gloves have you yeah. thought Michael this is excellent you're already saving you only have one glove this is excellent thanks Eddie well I can tell you uh, thanks Eddie without giving too much away when he was over in Ireland, uh, uh, he stayed here for quite a while and uh, kind of taking a break from Los Angeles. And I learned this in, in the meantime. And um, he used to go to, he used to walk into this wood woodland near where he was staying. And the guy that owned the whole thing uh, had also uh, taken stuff out of the um, Waxworks Museum in Dublin. And he had a number of um, things he just threw up there, uh, including uh, uh, some, some Elvis stuff. And uh, Michael came back. You, you love this. Michael came back from one of his um, one one of one of his quiet moments in the forest, absolutely convinced that he was after having he was after meeting Elvis. Is that right? Yeah, he came in the door, convinced he was after having a vision of meeting Elvis, not just once but several times. On <laughs> is that true? That's true. Yeah. I, is that? Um, I think that might have been the Grouse Studios. Yeah, he was it could have been, yeah, a place called Grouse wanna, Studios in the Midlands. Yeah, was I just don't want to give names away, you know. Yeah. Because it was like, I was well known was, that he was. It saying. was a story told in great, great, great fun and mirth, and a lot of love and affection for Michael Jackson as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. So the economy crashed. I mean, yeah. we, we realised you were a consumer champion, and a, a lot of the the economic situation now mirrors what was happening back then. Uh, high rents, high mortgages, um, high taxes, um, rip off. Except for the credit bubble. We don't have a credit bubble at the moment. We don't have credit. But so the economy crashed. And what became of you? Well, it was, uh, well, I remember just before it happened, um, uh, the actual, because I said it, I said, listen, I've just been um, beatified after rip off Republic because the government attacked and the public rallied around and it scared the government away. And uh, there was a lot of dark stuff happening in the background as well with briefings and all this kind of stuff going on, you know. So it's all ancient history now. But the public did and the government took, 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 took fright and took flight. And, and that was that. But then I knew I was in serious trouble now because I understood clawback. The, uh, the, the hype, you know, the theory of clawback. That, what, is, what do you mean? Well, clawback is when, when you reach a certain scale in public eye. Uh, there's only one way it can go after Down. that, which is clawed, it's clawed back. Oh, they give it and then they take it away. Well, it's not just, it just, that's the way it works, you know, it's just human behaviour. So in other words, you had your moment in the sun, it was time for your retribution. Yeah, and I said it actually, I said it, I said, uh, I said after beatification comes crucifixion. Is this the media? Yeah, and, and that, that was a headline in the media, you know, I knew I knew what was coming. I knew I knew that there was going to be serious repercussions. And So like any celebrity, the media were setting you up for a fall. Well, no, I don't think is that it's what you mean? quite look like a conspiracy like that. It's just the way it thinks work um, I do, I, do I, I can tell you that um, I think there's a direct connection between changes in the um, in the broadcasting rules and Rip Off Republic because Rip Off Republic caused an awful lot of tension between RT and the government yeah and, um, and consequently when I went on to do the next programme which was 30 Things to Do with your SSIA uh, we were just about to film it a few days later and a call came through to say so it was a countdown from, from, from 30 to 1 
and um, so I was uh, from 1 to 30 and I was going to open with the, the best posse see most people a lot of people are getting 25 grand out of the SSIA after yeah. saving it for five years and I was going to open where I finished so which was really uh, you've 25,000 the best possible thing you can do with your money is get yourself elected so I went out onto the streets of Nace and I formed a political party called Mayfain I was too fain okay and people were signing up I said my pitch was very simple I said I want to get elected to get a, a rate of return for the next five years of 85,000 a year plus expenses uh, <laughs> can you help me and people were just signing the form it was a, it was a gag right but yeah. I mean it was it was straight yeah. at least it was honest right? yeah so it's like uh, Shane Ross setting himself up as a property uh, a real estate agent so, I kind of, so the phone call came through from the production company to say that uh that RT didn't want it to start with that, that that was going to be pushed way down the order of priority. And then I knew something was up because uh, I never had a direct relationship. I, my relationship was always with the production company. Right. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I said, well, who made the decision? I was given the name, very senior executive. So I rang through the very senior executive. The person took the call. Uh, how are you? I said, listen, I know I'm broke, breaking all sorts of procedures and processes here, but I understand you made this decision. And the person said, yes, I did. I said, what are your presentation skills like? And I said, why do you ask? I said, because you will be presenting the programme on Monday night at seven o'clock. I won't be there unless mm. you change your mind. And it was like 10 o'clock by lunchtime. And a phone call came through before lunchtime to say, it's OK, we're going to do it the way it was intended. Mm. And and then that, that gave me uh, an insight into the tensions that had been going on in the background. Yes. And um, uh, and then the consumer saw, show followed that. And then in the middle of all that, it became it, like the, these new rules came in about a presenter can't look down the camera and give an, an opinion any longer. OK. Yeah. So so I would have ended up being a guest on my own show. So <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Hobbs, will you welcome, please? Yeah. Uh, Eddie Hobbs. And I just run around. That would have been an absolute dream for you, isn't it? Two Eddie Hobbs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know you love one Eddie Hobbs, but Jesus, two of them would have been really egging it. So uh, so 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 that was the end of that. And um, uh, I don't know the things along the way but I mean that was that, that was it but I'd always like all that for me Mario was um, a, a bit of crack yeah like like people think oh my god you're on television you're making a fortune they've no idea how television works in Ireland or media works in Ireland Ireland is a small population yes it's not it's not Los Angeles and it's not London right so you can get piles of um, a, a audience and all the rest of it but actually turning that into turning that into a full-time job or career ask anybody who's who does poetry or writes books or or even does media. It's a bloody hard gig. And it was never a full-time job for me. It was always it was always just a bit of fun on the side. I've been running a business for the last 30 years and yes. that, that's remained unchanged. And that's actually, always, been my, always been my thing. It's brilliant because actually the first person who's, uh, there's a call waiting for us here uh, and it's actually uh, Miriam O'Callaghan would love to say hello to you because <laughs> I think it's the TV you were talking about. Say hello to Miriam. Hi Miriam, how are you? Hi Eddie. <laughs> I'm just in my car, genuinely enjoying the conversation. And I really, really, really appreciate how you say that TV is so hard. I mean, you and I had some great conversations in the corridors on, you know, during your programme. Did you enjoy your time in RTE? I did actually, Miriam. It was a great time. And I loved the way you used to stare down at the camera. <laughs> no, that was David McWilliams. <laughs> oh, was it? Well, you're both really nice. But I had you many times on my programme, Eddie. And I think, well, I think you've delivered. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, between you and David, probably take both of you. <laughs> Thanks, Miriam. She might be back later. Anyway, um, yeah. 
tell me about uh, then you were obviously as a financial advisor you have to face the music here Eddie and tell me about Cape Verde Brendan Investments all of that sort of stuff yeah so brief explanation of what Cape Verde uh, and then Brendan yeah, Investments well, was to the, to the listeners and then tell them what happened well Cape Verde um, uh, I think that all the geography books in secondary schools in Ireland should be changed and it should just be called Hobbs Islands because <laughs> I, I actually invented a country now, how Captain I, Hobbs. How I invented it. Yeah, I was like, I felt like Captain Cook after discovering, yeah. you know, whatever it was, New Zealand or whatever. Uh, Amerigo Despucci and all of those, you know, Peter the Navigator and all those, Brendan the Voyager, blah, blah. Uh, what actually happened was very straightforward. Um, uh, I, uh, towards the back end of 2005, uh, around that time, I was investigating what, had, what was going on in Bulgaria for a number of people because they had been badly stung. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of corruption and mafia involved. The whole, the whole product out there, the whole market out there was mad. But people were literally flying out in planes and, and buying um, or putting deposits down on stuff in Bulgaria. Yeah. And I was just thinking, but like, look, sunshine, four months of the, three, three to four months of the year, and then it's crap, right? And I was thinking, this is nuts. This is beyond nuts. So, uh, so anyway, just had that in my head, and I went into. Uh, a television program which was Ryan Tuberty and it was, none of this thing was staged or anything you know it was like a free-flowing conversation like this and uh, and he said and it came up about pe- and people you know doing things with overseas property you know remember get your timeline right right this was two years before Lehman Brothers went supernova yeah. which was in October 2008 and I said well look if you're going to do, I had just written a book and three chapters on property and I said look this is for cash only uh, don't borrow money to invest in overseas residential property. If you're buying a holiday home, buy a holiday home with cash that you've got and blah and all that, all these rules, right? So I, was, I wasn't going to launch into that, but I, I mentioned Cape Verde on the, on the television programme. It's probably a better destination or words to that effect. And I forgot, more or less forgot about it, right? And uh, it was like as if I had created a new country. <laughs> and then what happened then was I was contacted by... So everybody started ringing you, talking about it, no, asking no. you about it. Well, no, no. What happened was uh, about a month or so later, I was contacted by a, P- a PR company working for a company in Cork asking me, would I speak at events that they were, they were, they were, host, they were going to host these three or four events? And uh, so I went along with the chapters of my book and I spoke about how you basically moderate your behaviour when it comes to investing in overseas property. Not Irish property, you know, because I knew that that was a burst, but 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 overseas property. And I, I, I had my own views on, on US as well, especially Florida. I'll tell you a funny story there in a second. And um, uh, and, and I spoke at those events. And that that's it. That's, yes. That's it. Except you started a company that didn't, or you were involved in a company that... No. I wasn't involved. So there you was had a, nothing to do with Cape Verde? No, no. I mentioned Cape Verde on the radio. I spoke about property at a company called Cape Verde Investments, which was promoting yes. subsequent to the television programme. And you had nothing to do with Cape Verde Investments? No, nothing. Oh, sorry. No. But you did invest in it, did you? No. You didn't even invest in Cape Verde Investments? No. So basically you had just, you had just touted Cape Verde? Well, yeah, I did, yeah. I went to speak and uh, it, was, it was a mistake in hindsight in view of what happened. So what happened then, uh, yes. p- some people started to, obviously people started, some people started to invest 
put their money down for you know stage yes. payments on houses yes. and then along came the global financial crisis and destroyed the uh, Cape Verde well it just no no it destroyed the uh, it destroyed whoever it destroyed a lot of development projects throughout the world not oh, just of course. Cape Verde but like then since then Cape Verde has been like thrown around in Ireland as if it's some kind of I mean I think it's slightly racist myself right because I've been out there a couple of times and mm. it's a fantastic place mm. but the idea that Cape Verde is some kind of um, um, a burst is utter nonsense. The, uh, the, 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 the tourism industry is after booming. There's five-star hotels everywhere. Mm. There's planes flying from all over Europe directly to Cape Verde, to okay. several of the islands, except coming from Ireland. So it's like as if it's blotted out of our heads. Right. Well, it's just three or four locations in Britain flying out there. There's locations in, in, in Holland and okay. Germany. We won't stay in it for long. I so, know, but like, so, that's so, all I'm saying. Like, can I summarise it then? Yeah, yeah. So, what, so if I summarise it by saying, um, you mentioned it, you had even spoken at a thing about it, but you weren't actually involved in the company yourself. No, I wasn't. And no. second of all, uh, had there not been a, um, uh, a worldwide meltdown, it could have been a perfectly reasonable opportunity. Well, it still is. Cape mm. Ford is a wonderful tourist destination. Very good. Uh, it's 365 days of the year between 25 and 28 degrees constant. Very good. And so, like, and it's just a wonderful place to go. Okay, we have another call coming yeah. in. Sorry, yeah. I, I don't know. I can I, I don't know when these are going to happen, Eddie. You know, so Brendan O'Connor is on the line. Would you say hello to Brendan? Uh, <clears throat> Hi Brendan, how are you? How you doing Eddie? Um, really, really good to talk to you and, and you must come on my, my programme at some stage um, You had a great pandemic by the way but I know Mario will come to that as well Listen Eddie, um, can I ask you a question? Hello? Yeah, go ahead yeah. Yeah, You and I, right, we've both made mistakes when it comes to telling people when to buy a house Okay so I think in about 2007, I said, now is the time to buy. I think it was 2008, actually. Yeah, could have been, yeah. could have been. I'm a bit sort of, you yeah. know, I have a bit of PTSD <laughs> after that, you know. I <laughs> <laughs> think you might know what I'm talking about, Eddie. Um, just what, 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 what I'm trying to say is, Eddie, let's, would you, I would, I'd like to buy a house in Cape Verde now. Mm. Would you advise me to buy a house in Cape Verde? No. No, because I was thinking I'm actually taking a ship out myself and, and calling it the Brendan Voyage, okay, and maybe buying a little five-bedroom, I don't know. Thanks, thanks, uh, thanks, Brendan. That was lovely to talk to Brendan. Have you been on a show recently? No, I haven't, no, no. no. What were you saying about Florida? You I said you had a story a about Florida. Appearances in, uh, yeah, Florida was into, in Christmas 2005. I was anxious just to get out because... The spotlight was just enormous after Rip Off Republic. I mean, I couldn't, um, I couldn't even have lunch in in restaurants or pubs or anything. What would I happen? Going, I would just get people to come up to you. They wouldn't even, people wouldn't just even say hello. They just launch into whatever question they had. It was like as if you were the. Give me an example. So it you're was, sitting it was there like, eating like your, your financial confessional. So you're eating you, there. You, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't go in and sit down. I mean, you would be stopped on the way in. You wouldn't <laughs> by somebody it. going yeah, what? Yeah, just asking you. Well, well, I'll put it to you like this. Hmm. I was. I could be parked at traffic lights. This is how mad it was. Uh, lights are red. Next thing, beep, look across. Somebody puts down the window in a lorry or whatever. And just as the lights are growing green, he would say, fixed our variable, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and uh, I, I, I recall, because I, I wrote about it at the time. I had it in the 2006 book, being in... Um, being in a video shop and uh, when, when you used to go in and get videos for a Friday night, I was in a video shop in Newbridge. And this guy came up to me and... Um, he uh, he said to me, um, "Could I ask you a question?" No, usually it's not. Can I ask you a question? Is 
what do you think about property in Turkey? Yeah. You know, in, in, a, in a broad Kildare accent, not mm. in a Cork accent. Yeah. And I remember saying, oh my God, like I'm just getting a video. You know, the thing's going on in your head. Yeah. So I said to him, um, have, you, uh, have you bought a house in Turkey? He said, yeah, I have, yeah. And I said, um, well, what's the situation? I knew a little bit about double taxation agreements with Turkey, that there wasn't any. Yeah. So I said, um, well, what's the situation with double taxation between Turkey and Ireland? He said, I, I don't know. I said, well, uh, did you, you, you obviously hired a lawyer out there to do the, the process for you. He said, I did. And I said, well, um, how do you know it was a lawyer you were actually, you actually heard? How do you know it was a genuine order, that it's a, that it's a genuine title document that you've got? And he's looking at me and I said, well, listen, um, you know, are you getting rental income? He said, I'm beginning to get rental income, I think, yeah. And I said, well, um, you don't know about the tax system. You're not so clear about the legal system. So what happens if you collect your rents, but you don't pay tax? And he said, I don't know. And I said, look, come over here a second. And I brought him over and uh, I got him a copy of Midnight Express. And I said, you need to watch that. Oh, yeah. Great film. Great film. Yeah. And then... In, in Christmas of 2005. So he was going to be in jail basically for the rest of his life in Turkey. He was going to, well, he might have enjoyed it depending on his, uh, depending on the way he, he the way. On <laughs> his sexual predilection. <laughs> Perhaps, right. <laughs> but I'm just simply saying that it was, it was a tough, it's a tough place, right, if you get things wrong. Mm. And uh, then I was in, um, uh, in, in, in Florida in Christmas 2005 and uh, I was just getting a break from the whole thing. Somebody had given us a, 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 their, their holiday home to use. So we were over there for three weeks, myself and the kids and my wife. And, uh, and it was great. And then on the, it's like two weeks actually over Christmas. And, uh, and I remember this is great, you know, no, I can sit. Nobody's bothering me. I'm not, I'm not being, why not being watched or monitored or anything like that. So the next thing on the very, on the second last day, out of the corner of my eye in an outlet mall, I spotted them. The, the dreaded uh, three or four uh, aircom soccer jerseys wandering around uh, carrying a bit of weight and I knew right four lads there's only one reason they're not playing they're not over for soccer they're over here that's property right so there was thousands of people and about an hour later uh, I got a tap on the shoulder and I said oh it has to be and I turned around and there was a, the aircom jersey uh, saying to me um, what do you think of property in um, in um, in Florida, and I remember, and this is what I said to him genuinely. I said, I think there's going to be uh, an economic problem in the United States very shortly. It'll start in the property market and it'll begin in Florida, like it did in the 1920s, which led to the Wall Street crash. Subsequently, speculation on property in Florida, and uh, and I said, Have you signed the documents? And I remember him looking at me, and the blood draining from his face. And the other three lads were about 20 feet behind, nodding away, you know. And uh, I said, Well, listen, best of luck with that. And I turned around and I, I didn't see what happened, but obviously he had to turn around and go back and report the conversation to his colleagues because he sounded like the guy whose idea it was to go over and buy property in Florida. And he'd signed. Oh, he'd signed. Yeah. yeah. The deal was done. The, 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 the deposit was paid or whatever way it was done. Yeah. And uh, and then the it was quite obvious that there was a credit bubble for those that were looking for it. Well, I had it in my book in 2006 in Luke chapter seven, outlining it. I said, get out of Get, a, get out of weak banks into AAA rated banks because some banks could go burst, buy gold, get out of equities, buy bonds. It's all outlined there. And uh, uh, I didn't, what I didn't see coming was uh, was the global financial crash, that it was global, that, that this thing would transmit through all the wiring of the financial system and that basically subprime crap mortgages that were being sold to Americans, what sorry, that Americans were getting, were, was, was being put through the washing machine and was ending up as assets in banks all over Europe and all over the world. And that... 
and that this thing was just going to create a massive, almost the collapse of the global financial system, which it nearly did. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I'd, very few people did, or at least nobody I know about actually saw the scale of it. But it was de- there was definite signs of significant um, excesses in America and uh, and certainly in Ireland, private credit in Ireland had gone absolutely yeah. crazy. And the, all the numbers were, 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 were eye-watering. You know. Okay, so you'd gone to yeah, so you'd gone to Florida to escape from all of this, and yeah. And, and oh, well, I was just a short holiday and a break. Yeah, and I have the storm again with the Aircom jerseys. Well, yeah, well, no, it was just a bit of fun, you know. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, it was just a bit of fun. Yeah. And uh, well, you tell me a story, and then you downplay it and go, no, 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 it's not really a story well, at all. Think, it's a well, story. It is, yeah, it's a good story because it tells. It's very hard for people. 15 years later, it's actually longer than 15 years later now, 17 years later, to get an understanding of what the zeitgeist was in Ireland before it went burst, up mm. until it went burst. People here had almost a religious experience visiting property, reading about property porn, buying property, talking about property, dinner parties, descending into long discussions about property. Are we obsessed about property because uh, of the famine? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I think we're as obsessed about property as the Germans are about, about inflation because of the Weimar Republic, you know? And yeah. I, think, I think it possibly has something to do with that. But it definitely is, it's in us, you That's know? interesting that you mentioned that about Germany, yeah, and the hyperinflation of the yeah. 20s and a loaf of bread costing a million quid and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's hardwired in our DNA that when we were, you know, thrown out, when, when, the, 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 when the serfs were thrown out of their 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 log cabins in Ireland. That it was hardwired into our DNA that by Jesus, I loan I loan my own house someday. Well, we weren't allowed to own houses for mm. a long time, like a Catholic population, as mm. you know. I mean, that's only you know that was only in very recent times yeah. during our during our, our our period of membership of the British Empire. You know, uh, we have another caller on the line. Yeah, it's a Salo. It's a, I don't know if you admire this person or not, um, but uh, he he's certainly been listening intently. It's Christy Moore's on the line. Say hello to Christy. Oh, Christy, local local lad in in Newbridge. How are you doing, Eddie? How's it going? I'm really enjoying the conversation with Mario. And I must say, I, I, my ears are razor sharp to what you're saying. And you were talking about property there a minute ago, and you were there, and you were talking away about the property, the property, and this, and the property, that, and the property. And I was wondering, is there any use at the moment in flipping, flipping a few houses in Kildare? <laughs> I've, I've a few. There's a few. I, I'm kind of a. I'm known as a bit of a vulture fund. Yeah. In Kildare, I come in and I swoop mm. with my bow on, and uh, I was wondering what you think. Is there any value in property? In well, no. The, the flipping days are over after the global financial crash, Christy. Right. Long time ago. So you, we, would you t- we, we, should, we were supposed to have learned our lesson. But would you tell me to stay away from property at the moment? <laughs> would you? I'm, I'm dying to get my hands on a new. <laughs> An old two or three bed duplex <laughs> up there in Newbridge. I'd love it now. Just to go in on me own and look, smell the old paint and look around and, yeah. you know, just take my belly out and just go, I own this fucking place. I fucking love being an old landlord. And then, you know what, I'd fuck myself out of the house then. And I'd, I'd, I'd owe myself to rent. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd give myself an awful going over and I'd just seen it. Do you know what I'd be saying, yeah. Eddie? And you'd have a shocking, t- shocking taste in picking curtains and carpets. Oh, the I met a fella I know. They called him Medi Hobbs. He said he'd sort me out with me few bobs. He got me in up a duplex in County Newbridge. Hello, Christy. I think he's gone. I think he's gone mental on property. He sounds like he's going to sign some documents. All right. Tell me about Brendan Investments. Oh, you're right. Okay. So well, you, you, your, your face dropped when I said that. Is no, it not no, a happy? It's not a happy memory. No, no, no. It's pretty, 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 pretty horrible for everybody yeah. uh, involved. Well, what happened was. Let's just start it actually with with maybe maybe take the pain out of it. 
you lost a load of money with branded yeah. investments. All yeah. right, so let's start there. Yeah. Well, no. Well, let me just get there okay. if, if I don't mind, because it's 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 good for me to answer the question in detail because genuinely, uh, sorry, I shouldn't use the word genuinely in this company, but um, when it's hi, Eddie, it's, I'm still listening. <laughs> I'm still in the car. I'm stuck in traffic. Really enjoying it. Tell me about your disaster with Brendan and well, you can't you can't explain this thing in a, in, a, in a sentence or a paragraph, right? So this is this is useful for me. Um, okay, so back in two thousand and six, back in two thousand and six, it was quite clear that um, uh, you know that th- there were solid property markets out there. Germany was one, especially, and uh, but it was being, it was locked out to people that actually wanted to try to get into it because the starting point to get involved in any kind of a property investment outside of Ireland, in Germany, for example, would have been around two hundred thousand euros for stockbrokers around around town, and there was billions pouring in from the wealthy. But people below that point couldn't get any access at all. They were just locked out. So I, so I was approached to, uh, to look at setting up a fund by, by a number of property experts. And I said, well, the only way I would be prepared to do it is if, if, we, if we went and got, the for, for the very first time ever, a prospectus approved by the regulator, which was in line with the EU prospectus directive, which was 90 pages of detailed information with, led by risk warnings and all this kind of stuff and completely transparent and it would be a PLC and it would be subject to independent audit and transparency. They were my conditions. And I was a non-executive director and per the prospectus, I, I was there to market it. That was my that was my role, which I did. So the money came in. And, and How much uh, came in about? Uh, about, uh, well, we were hoping to get a lot more than what we did, but the total came in just around 12.7 million. Okay. So it was a very small fund even at that. And of course, the way these funds operate is that they can't operate without credit, without leverage. You have to leverage. And uh, otherwise, there's no point in having a fund because, you, you know, leverage is what drives the return, uh, provided it's done correctly. Obviously, if it's over leveraged, you get into all sorts of trouble. If it's under leveraged, you, it just, it's, just, it's just stagnant, especially in Germany. So um, because German property prices were, were, were never going to go through the roof. So what you had to do is, you, anyway, it's technical, but you had to, you had to um, basically try and uh, make sure that the rental yields that you got were above the cost of borrowing and you'd fix it over 10 years and all of that, right, which we did. So we got in the fund finally, the fund, the fund started to fill towards the back end of 2007. It took us 16 months to get through the regulatory process. Uh, the fund filled, uh, it filled at a low level, which was 12.7 million and off we went. And as we were actually doing, the, the first deal that we did was with um, a brand new uh, state-of-the-art office, just as you walk out of Dusseldorf airport, brand new, by the way, brand new airport in a very wealthy region in Northern Germany. And across the road was Arkendor's, going to be Arkendor's head office. They signed a lease. They're the largest retail company in Germany with 400,000 staff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, looked great. Everything was fine. The next thing, the double financial crash hit. It absolutely hammered banking throughout uh, Europe, including in Germany. And credit terms sharply changed. Okay, so Brendan Investments coincided also with the, with the global financial no, crash. No, it started before it. The global financial crash, uh, the supernova, really was in September two thousand and eight. Yeah, when, when, when and Brendan Investments had got had in, filled in. We we had filled about a year before that. All right. Yeah. Mm. So 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 we had this lease signed up, um, and the next thing, Arkendor was one of the casualties because Arkend Arkendor was it was uh, couldn't couldn't roll over its debts. So people have this view that oh, you started after this, so therefore everything should have been fine. The world was in shit. There was no credit in any market, including in Ireland. Mm. And Ireland didn't start to genuinely recover until around 2014, 15. And there's no banking credit. And even today, credit in the Irish market for property investment is still highly restrictive and extremely expensive. 
So all of the ter- so so the, if you're running a fund, what happens is that you have a five year credit uh, agreement and it's going to roll over. But if the if the banking system is 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 wants to reduce the uh, the level of debt that they're prepared to roll over, you've got a problem. But on top of that, what happened was. Arkandor went into liquidation. But what had it done? It had stripped the insides of the building, five floors, to create this particular architectural view of what it wanted. So it, it went into liquidation and we were left with a brand new building with the largest retail company in Germany in, in, unable to, uh, to pay its lease. And a bill, I think of around three million or something, to actually put the bloody thing back into order so we could lease it out again. And we did, and we made a loss on that. The other thing then we did was uh, we built a hotel at, uh, in uh, Frankfurt Airport, made a profit on that. And then we were marooned 2010, 2011, and uh, there was the executive team were doing due diligence on what else we could be done. We had an AGM 2011 that was discussed. One of the things that was discussed, because it was due diligence being undertaken by the team, over in America, uh, this is one way of maybe getting a higher rate of return by getting involved in the refurbishment market in Detroit, provided it was done in very restrictive areas and it, and it was and it was closely well managed. Yeah, and uh, there was a there was a test case done on it and it seemed to be okay, and uh, that's what happened, and that's how we we tilted into uh, into the United States. And um, what happened was there was a problem with a local development company, which was eventually resolved in 2014. I was leaving towards the back end of 2014 anyway. Um, because uh, you know renewal was starting in 2015, and the la- and I was I was I resigned I resigned a couple of directorships at the time um, because I, I I just didn't think it was appropriate, and um, and then and then what happens, which isn't which is rarely reported, was that the um, uh, there was an awful there was a tragic occurrence in Flint in 2016. When it's all documented, actually, a very good documentary called "Poison Water" by PBS. Yeah, I know Michael Moore is a big uh, yeah, proponent so, of it. So what happened? It in was the water. Yeah. What happened in 2016? Is this this family uh, had a child who got quite sick yeah. in the early part of 2016, and were getting fobbed off by the local council, and and brought in people that were former formerly with the EPA in Washington. So this ex EPA guy comes up with his students, and they start to examine what happened and what they found was that the authority in Flint, which is just north of Detroit, about 50 miles north. Had been it, colluding in the, in, it had been known about this terrible. No, no, it's worse, worse, yeah. Mario. What they actually did was they deliberately didn't put a certain chemical into the water, which actually coated the inside of the pipes so that when they diverted the river, the, the Flint River, into the water system, that it wouldn't, in, through lead pipes, that it wouldn't interact with the lead. It was a cost-cutting measure. Yep. And um, and it should have it was unscientific. Yeah. And actually, it was it was just reckless. And so what happened was a huge problem arose with lead in the water. Yeah. So what then happened was the property market in the whole region got was yeah. th- there was a scare about yeah. lead in water, yeah. and everybody had to get uh, certified and had to spend significant sums of money in replacing lead piping. Okay. And what happened was, that, as I understand it. This year and a half after I had I was gone, this this erupted and the property market cratered for a period of about three years before coming yeah. back to and it's now back to pre two thousand and eight levels of valuation in certain spots as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it was that's how much what happened? Uh, the, 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 uh, your investors no, lost was, their your there investors was more lo- than that happened, but that's but the bigger exactly. Cycle. And your inve- the investors lost the money. The investors lost. How the did that affect about, you personally? Well, the, well. Uh, the investors lost an average of 15,000 euros, but that's, not, that, and you know, it wasn't just the loss that, that people got, right? It was the, it was the, that they were let down. 
You know, mm. uh, no, I was in the back of the bus as a non-executive director, but I take collective responsibility for the decisions that the board made, even though I wasn't involved in the day-to-day operations or running of the company. That was my job, but I'm I'm responsible. Okay, right. And I'm trying and, to imagine. I, don't, I, 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 I have a feeling, right, for all sorts of different ways, but all sorts of different ways, which, which yeah. don't matter. You and I are, are very different people. And I'm trying to imagine how I would feel mm. if I had been involved in that. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I, I want to try and tap into how you were feeling uh, as being a part of that or how you felt after it. I felt, I felt, um, well, it's, it, you see, the, the collapse of that investment, even though, relatively speaking, in Ireland, it was actually quite moderate relative to all of the capital, it was billions lost. It, it, it was really that this, the, the whole idea here was to try and get a rate of return for the smaller investor. And it not only just failed, it spectacularly collapsed, right, without a centella left, which I'm still, I'm still awaiting the report on how that happened in the two and a half years between my leaving it with five and a half million or so in valuation, including nearly two million in cash, mm. uh, and 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 how it ended up. Mm. I mean, that store that, that that has yet to be covered by a set of financial accounts. So I'm waiting for that sure. that as well. But what happened for me was that I was I was deeply affected by it. Mm. Um, and um, in what way? Well, uh, I had all of the um, for a long time. I had all of the issues you would associate with. Um, with depression mm. and and trauma, mm. uh, uh, lack of sleep, mm. um, um, mood bad. When I say mood, I mean mm. like down. Um, uh, How had, would that manifest itself? Uh, well, I mean, you're my, clearly a get up and go person. Yeah, my problem was that my problem was that the media were coming to me for explanation, mm. and I I've no problem in living in the media. I've always lived in the media, mm. but I I couldn't give them any answers because I wasn't on the bus. Mm-hmm. when it happened and the people that were running the show at the time had made the decision we'll keep our heads down and sure he'll he'll be the lightning rod and draw and that's exactly what happened so you draw the heat I, I draw I drew the whole thing no I accept that that's did my you, responsibility did you, did you always did you feel like hiding sometimes cl- crawling under your well, duvet I, does that happen to you um, you, you, you you basically kind of lock yourself in to your home hmm. mentally and physically and you you reduce your contact with you didn't uh, really want to go out as much. You, you just reduce your contact with everybody around you, mm. including your own family. I mean, you just withdraw. Were you ever approached or doorstepped or met? Did you ever meet any of the any of no. the investors? No, of no Brendan, never. N- no, no, never. Not, not since not since I I, I had stepped down. Yeah. I went to the next AGM and explained why I was doing this. Mm. And, and how that, was the atmosphere at that AGM? Well, that that, that wasn't the AGM. That was the AGM in 2015. The actual issue arose, well, the, 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 the notification arrived in 2017, really, you yeah. know, so there was a two-year gap. Yeah. So, no, I didn't. And uh, by the way, I never got a phone call from anybody, uh, ever, whoever was invested in Cape Verde as well, just, just, just for the record, right? But no, I didn't. Uh, I got, um, obviously, people were upset. Um, uh, I didn't get doorstepped. I obviously had conversations with people. Um, and uh, and I was I was actually in one case yeah it was some somebody had come over to me when I was having a cup of coffee in a garage uh, uh, coming back up from a, from a trip and I had a chat with him and told him to, I answered his questions and told him told him what what the situation was and that was that so um, 
so but it wasn't just that like it wasn't the um what's the word i'm looking for it wasn't the it it it, it was it was the it was the sense that i had very badly sorry i had been involved in something that very badly let people down and it wasn't just the so small scale of it or anything like that it was that i was involved in it and i had no way of um of helping people who were hurt by that event mm. i didn't have a way of of helping them processes took over and i didn't have access to the information necessary to be able to do it and and anyway i was i was getting battered quite correctly at the time and mm. um, by the media for you know you got this wrong and blah you know this did you feel wrong. that there was a sense of a little bit of schadenfreude or no, revenge uh, from the media no 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 it's that's just the principle of clawback that i referred mm. to earlier on it's mm. clawback and operation and uh you know w- w- when you're you describe it a clawback as on as in on emotional terms you just kind of say that's the way it is is yeah. there no emotion involved in it at well, all there is yeah there is of course yeah there is there's a lot of emotion involved in it it's not very pleasant when you're when you're when when you're getting that kind of treatment uh, it's deeply unpleasant, but not for me, for those that are around me and that mm. care about me. I'm much more concerned about them than I would be for myself. I'm well able to stand up for myself physically, right? Physically and uh, psychologically. I'm well able to stand up for myself. But uh, but at the time, it was it was just overwhelming. It was like, um, it, it was just unending and, and dragged out, you know? Uh, as these processes are. So it was very difficult for me to to do that, but I did it, I got through it. And, uh, you know, I got the breakthrough Mm. Um, uh, mentally. I had to just change the way I was mentally approaching things. And probably as well, uh, you know, um, you know, you can only take so much. Uh, If I was to summarize it, I would say that the worst battering you can sustain is from yourself. We've got another call. Um, this uh, well spoken, by the way. Another call, fellow Corkonian, actually. Say hello to him. It's Roy Keane. <laughs> hello, Roy. <laughs> How's it going? How's it going, Eddie? I'm absolutely loving this conversation. I have to say, at the end of the day, all oh, credit to financial meltdowns. I mean, you 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 take no fucking prisoners. I'll tell you. I mean, you are you are some you're a beaut, absolute beaut. You're the kind of player that we need. A fella that makes, you know, you make your mistakes. And then you get up and then you look a fella in the eye and you say, I can physically take care of myself. I saw I I could see you looking at your man, the interviewer there that you're talking today, looking into his eye going, I can physically take care of myself. You don't. I mean, it's fantastic. You go in all credit to debit. Everybody loses their money and you go, I'll fucking I'll fucking take you on physically as well. <laughs> I'll fucking root your box to box, box to box financial. Absolutely. I mean, you're, I mean like you're, you're the Harry Maguire of the international financial market, you know, Harry Maguire. I mean, there's errors after errors after errors. There's a mistake here. There's a mistake. There. And you get up and you come back the next day. Chumba Wumba. Mm. I get knocked down, but I get up again. It's unbelievable, Eddie. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely... You're a credit. <laughs> well, I'm, that's high. That's high praise. Well, I'm just saying that I'm no, I'm no, I'm no wallflower. You know, I'm, it's high praise. Yeah, all right. I then. mean, I think that's high praise from Roy Keane. He's a Northside Cork boy. 
I, I mean, I played soccer against Northside teams with with Roy with, with Roy Keane characters in them. I'm, yeah, I know. Them. I mean, he respects the way yeah, you yeah, t- you yeah. took it on the chin. Well, you actually, get up, <laughs> but but listen. And this conversation is going to take a turn for the better. Believe it or not, Eddie, it's not going to be all de- depressing and bad, right? But there is one thing we have to go through next, and that is. And that's where we're leaving this part of my conversation with Eddie Hobbs. There's so much more coming in part two, totally different and surprising stuff coming up later in this month. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, Make sure you check out the previous episode of the series where Eddie gave a very interesting and personal view of Vladimir Putin and his invasion of the Ukraine. Um, My thanks to Currys, as always, over the last year for their great support of the podcast. And of course, my thanks to you, the most important aspect and part of this podcast. Thanks a million. Talk to you soon. See you soon. Same time, same place next week. Take it easy.